Welcome to this week's sermon from Heights Worship Center. We believe God has something for you today. We hope this message encourages and inspires you. So today we're going to continue in our truth series and we're talking about what is truth. That was the first week. Last week we talked about truth and grace and today I want to tackle truth and identity. And so as we prepare our hearts, I want you just to remember our core scriptures, John 14, 6, right? Jesus said, read it with me loud. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And remember, I gave it to you the way the Holy Spirit framed it for me differently. Jesus is the way to truth that leads to life. Read it with me. Jesus is the way to truth that leads to life. And any other truth that is contrary to the truth of Jesus Christ and the word, it doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. So if you want to find truth, you must find Jesus. Amen. And then we covered last week about truth and grace. And in John chapter one, verse 17 and 18, I'm going to read it as a recap, but in the passion translation, because it also helps unfold what we're going to talk about today. So in John one, 17 through 18, the passion, it says that Moses gave us the law, but Jesus, the anointed one unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. Another version I read last week, he came full of grace and truth. This says he unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except his uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart. Now that he has come to us, he has unfolded the full explanation of who God truly is. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your heart words of life, words of truth. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are tender and responsive to what you want to speak to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus came to unveil truth wrapped in mercy, grace. He came also to reveal his Father. If Jesus said, if you know me, you know the father. So Jesus came as the exact representation of his father. And I like this scripture here in the passion because it gives you an inside look into the dynamic but intimate relationship between God the father and his son, Jesus Christ. It says that God is his uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart. This is giving you a little peek into the relationship between Jesus and his father. Another translation said that Jesus is in the bosom of the father, the chest of the father. Speaking of how close their relationship is, how intimate their relationship is. Like Jesus the son crawling up in daddy's lap. You know, it gives you a picture of the intimacy and the closeness that they had together. And one of the things you got to understand about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit is they are three distinct persons, and yet they are one. It's the mystery of the Trinity. 
But here the father and the son have this mutual dynamic relationship where they mutually delight in each other. The father delights in his son and the son delights in his father. The father cherishes his son and Jesus came to represent the fullness of his father. I don't know, you can see this represented really clearly in relationships between fathers and sons today. I remember seeing a picture of Andre on Instagram with Carter, and it just looked Carter was emulating his dad. It was one of the cutest things I've ever seen. You know, you go and you see, like a dad stands a certain way and the son copies him. You know, it's so cute. There's still something about fathers and sons where little boys, they want to talk like their dad and walk like their dad. And and if I can't take you, my dad will take you. You know, there's something about just that kind of relationship. And you know where that actually comes from? Jesus and his father in heaven. Isn't that so cool? Like God and his love for you and me lets us just have a little taste of what it's like when you're a father. God is giving you a taste of what he enjoys with his son. He's giving you an opportunity to experience that with your own children. Because God delights in his son. And I just want to show you how how important this fact is. Because we're going to talk about identity. Jesus' identity came straight from his father. And so in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, and we're going to pick up in verse 16 through 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Now, this is Jesus's entrance, right? Letting the world know that I've come with a purpose. And the first thing when he comes up out of the water in baptism, out of obedience, God announces his son. This is my boy. (laughs) Like, I I need you to get it, right? Sometimes, again, we over-spiritualize and get so serious. But here, God is so excited. He's like, this is my son. And he's not just any son. He's my dearly loved, beloved son. This is my boy. I love him. I want the whole world to know that this is my boy and I love him. And I like what it says. It says, and he brings me great joy. I know some of you can relate to that as parents. Sometimes your kids don't bring you great joy. But most of the time, (laughs) kids can bring you great joy. And he announces to the whole world, this is my beloved son who brings me great joy. I need you to get this because God could have announced anything he wanted. This is my son, the savior of the world. Believe in him. But that's not what he said. He could have said, this is my son. He has all power and authority. Be very afraid. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Use your imagination. God the Father could have said anything he wanted. He was announcing that Jesus, his son, had come to earth. And his choice to announce his son is, this is my dearly beloved son. And he makes me so happy. I like him. I delight in him. I take great joy and delight in him. You know what's so amazing about this is that Jesus is 30 years old. The last time we read anything about Jesus, he was 12. When mom and dad went back home and he stayed back in the temple and parents freaked out because they couldn't find Jesus. 
And they go back and they find him in the temple talking to all the, the leaders and priests and, and whatnot. And they're like, Jesus, why didn't you come with us? He's like, why are you looking for me? I'm in my father's house. That was the last time we read anything. So between age 12 and age 30, the Bible is silent about Jesus. All it says is he grew in wisdom and stature. That means he grew up and he had favor. Nothing, nothing of note. The only thing we, we read is that his parents went home and he stayed behind. That's all we understand about Jesus. He was born in a manger. He got some gifts from the wise men. He stayed behind. Nothing for 30 years. Can you imagine that? So that means at this point, Jesus had not done one miracle yet. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't opened blind eyes. He didn't open up deaf ears. He didn't raise the dead. At this point, Jesus had done nothing that was really noteworthy. He grew up. <laughs> That's all he had done. He grew up. And yet, having done absolutely nothing of noteworthy, God announces, this is my beloved son in whom I take great joy. See, God was saying that not based on anything Jesus had done, because Jesus at this point, quote unquote, was a nobody. Nobody really knew of him. He was the carpenter's son. That's all they knew about him in his hometown. Nobody knew about Jesus. Jesus was a nobody at this point. And yet God makes a big announcement. The arrival of the son of God, the Messiah, comes to the world. And what God has to say, this is my beloved son. I love him and he brings me great joy. I think this is so important for you and I to get. Because oftentimes as Christians, we fall into this wrong mindset that in order for God to love me, I need to do better. I need to do something of note. I, I, I need to impress God. But as we sang today, there's nothing we could do to make God proud of us. He's already loves us. He already chose us. He already called us his own. And so God already loves you now, whether you've done it all good or not. And nobody's done it all good. <laughs> right? Say Amen. And so this is so important for you and I to understand because Jesus comes up out of the water and the first thing he hears his father say out loud to all of humanity is, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. It's so cool that this was the identity God wanted his son to have. Son, when you go into the world to do your ministry, you're about to do your ministry, I want you to go with this knowledge. I love you. And I am happy with you. I think there's something here, dads, for you to take hold of with your kids and your grandkids. There ain't nothing you can do that'll make me love you less or love you more. You already have my love and you bring me great joy. The identity that Jesus walked in was the words of his father of love and affirmation. And I'll tell you how important this is going to be because in the very next verse, Matthew chapter 4, Verses 1 through 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So Jesus comes out of the water. He hears his father's words of affirmation. Then the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And then the devil comes at Jesus' weakest point, having not eaten for 40 days. And then he comes. And what's the first thing that the devil tries to get Jesus to question? His identity. If you are the son of God, prove it. If you are really the son of God, do something, show me, prove it. And I'll tell you today, the enemy's number one tactic hasn't changed. He comes at all of us with an attempt to make us question our identity, to make us question our worth and our value. When we're growing up, especially teenage years, everybody's in search of their identity. What does my life mean? What value? What purpose? What intention do I have? And today we see the enemy is attacking identity. But this is not a new thing. He did it with Jesus. Because the very next temptation said the same thing. If you are the son of God. The devil wanted him to question his identity the way that he continues to cause people to question their identity today. But look at how Jesus responds. Jesus was like, he didn't go, oh yeah? Bread. He didn't do that. <laughs> he could have. But he understood that the temptation wasn't about bread. It was about his identity as the son of God. So how did he respond? He said, no, people do not live by bread alone. But read it loud. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What was the last thing Jesus heard from the mouth of God? This is my dearly loved son in whom I am well pleased. The last thing Jesus heard his dad say is I love you and you make me so happy. I delight in you. I like you. I take pleasure in you. And here Jesus is like, oh, no, nah, nah. You're not going to get me to question my identity. I know what my father said. I don't need bread. I need the words of my father. Dads, you play an integral part in shaping the identity of your children. I took some time to do some research because I heard another pastor say that fathers impart identity. So I started looking into it. And whether it's secular sociology research or different kinds of research, and they all say the same things. Fathers impart identity. Kids get an idea of who they are, their worth and their value from their relationship or lack thereof with their father. In fact, fatherlessness is considered to be one of the greatest crises that we have here in America. Lack of fathers in the home or absentee fathers. As Pastor Jaron said earlier, dads have been under immense attack. And part of that has come from the feminist movement. We don't need men. I don't need a man. I got the government. I don't need a man. I'll just get some welfare to take care of my kids. It's like we have set up a situation where we told women, you don't need men. Well, I'm a powerful woman. I don't need a man. But God created man and woman together to raise kids. And so the enemy comes and attacks the home because if he can break the home, he can break the kids. He can break identity. And now we have generations of children questioning their identity because for a long time there's been no dads and moms have been separated. You need to understand why the devil attacks fathers the way that he has. Because dads, you are vital to imparting identity in your children. Both female and male. Both daughters and sons. It is your 
presence. It is your love. It is your words of affirmation, of encouragement that will enable you to impart identity to your kids. Just like God did that for Jesus. I love you, son. You bring me great pleasure. I haven't done anything. I love you, son. You bring me great pleasure. Dad, you have an opportunity with your words, with your actions to be present and active and willing to impart worth, value, and identity. And you don't even have to be the biological father to do that. I want to commend Wayne. Good morning, Wayne. But Wayne is an amazing father to Michael. Yeah. And I'm telling you, like God raises up people to fill in the gaps. So even if you're a single mom doing it on your own, there are men that God can use to raise up and fill in the gap. But if not men, the father in heaven wants to impart identity to his children. And so Satan attacked Jesus's identity. If you really are the son of God, if you really are female, then why do you like to play sports so much? If you really are female, then why is your body shaped like that and not like this? You know how the enemy works? If you're really male, then how come you don't like sports? If you're really male, where, where, why aren't you machissimo? If you're really female, why are you so loud? I'm, I'm pretty loud. And I like sports. Now, now, while I never questioned my identity as a woman because it wasn't allowed, but if I think back to my preteen and teenage years, I have a unisex name, Dawn. Every time to this day, I go to Starbucks and it's D-O-N, okay? Like, and I'm like, can't you see me? Like, you know? And so I grew up with a unisex name and I have curly hair and my mom has straight hair and she didn't know how to do it, so it was short. It was spiky in kindergarten. I thought it was cool. And so, and I've never been built all, you know, I'm just stocky, poof. Athlete. I'm a tomboy, love sports. I would rather be outside playing sports than inside playing dolls. My sister's like, play dolls. And I'm like, you know, let's go outside and kick a ball around. And I love being with my dad, working on cars and being out in the shop. I was just that kind of girl. And so you get labeled as the tomboy. And then you get called, oh, you're, I remember in kindergarten, the little boys are like, you're not a girl. And I'm like, I'm a girl. You're not a girl, your hair is short. I'm a girl. And so these things begin to impart, and then as you grow up and you don't quite look like the other girls, and I'm loud, I'm not quiet and sweet like my sister. She was the pretty one. Those words will leave marks. She's the pretty one, right? You're the, you're the athletic one. She's the pretty one. And then the enemy comes in, and he tries to get you to question your identity. And so while I never thought I was a man, because that wasn't available back then, don't be so quick to judge these kids wrestling with their identity. It's an option for them now. In fact, some of them are told you feel like this because you aren't really your biological gender. And so while I never questioned that, there was a part of my femininity that was wounded. Because I didn't feel fully female. Because I like sports. And I'm built pretty stocky. And I have a unisex name. So sometimes I'm like Donna. Just Donna's good. <laughs> but because, because of God's faithfulness to me, he showed me long in my early 20s, he began to show me, part of your femininity is wounded by people's words and their perceptions of you, 
There's nothing wrong with the way I created you. I created you intentionally and purposefully. You are the way I want you to be. You are fully feminine. But it took me an opportunity to really lean into the Holy Spirit to have him take out lies and put in truth. And that's, that's so important for us to understand. The devil still attacks identity today. He still is getting people to question, am I really fully masculine? I'm quiet. I don't like sports. I'm a musician. I'm creative. Oh, then you must be gay or you must be a woman. See, the questions today were not around when we were growing up, but if they were, I don't know. And so these are, why am I sharing this with you? Because I want, again, sometimes we just, we don't want to deal with things, and so we just go like this, or we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say. I want you to understand how to pray. I want you to understand how to to look past what people are doing or acting or presenting themselves as, see past that and see the person, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus looked past the woman at the well with five failed marriages living with another man. He looked past that to the woman who was looking for love, and he embraced her with love and offered her himself. The woman caught in adultery, they said, the law says to stone him. What do you say? Jesus looked around and he just gets down and starts writing in the sand. Scholars think that maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments or maybe he was writing the name and their sin. (laughs) Nobody really knows what Jesus was writing. But as he wrote in the sand, the Bible says one by one, they started to leave the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus said to the woman in adultery, woman, where are your accusers? Does anyone condemn you? She says, no one, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus had the ability to look past the action and look to the person and then offer that person truth and grace. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters. We need to learn to do the same thing. We need to learn to not be thrown off by whatever is presented to us at our workplace and our family. And we need to learn to look past that to the person and love that person and offer them truth and grace. Because that's how we impact a culture who are wrestling with their identity. That's how we impact our kids. When your kids come to you and say something like, hey, dad, I think I'm actually the other gender. Don't freak out. Start asking them questions. Be safe, be a place for them to come to you and be able to talk through some of these things so that you can impart truth in a very calm, loving, grace-filled way. Or if your kids come to you and, and, and say, whatever, I think I'm trans, I think I'm this, I think I'm that, or, you know, I think I'm a thief, <laughs> I think, uh, whatever it might be, you need to know how you can be a place to talk through their questions to find out why they th- they're saying these things. Don't lecture, listen. Aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, cuyas, ates. Listen, don't lecture. Ask questions that get them to talk more and to open up about it. So here Satan attacks the identity of Jesus, but Jesus held on to his identity because it was rooted in the Father's love. The identity of Jesus was rooted in the love of his father and his delight. And I want to encourage you dads, let the identity of your kids be rooted in your unfailing, unchanging, unconditional love. And let them know that you do actually like your kids. And I say that because it can be so easy to forget that because we're busy. 
You work all day, you come home, you're tired. And then they're like, dad, and you're like, ugh. You know? I remember my mom saying, give your dad some time, give your dad some time, you know? And it could be the best part of your day, but physically, we're not always up to it. We have a lot on our mind. You could be stressed out dealing with a lot of stuff, but if we could learn how to compartmentalize that part and be present with your kids for those few hours you have after school, after work every day, you would leave a huge, huge impression upon their lives. It's not about quantity of time. It's about quality of time. Make the time you have count. Make the time you have count. I want to go on to John chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. So Jesus gives us an insight into why he was so secure in his identity because he spent time with the father. Amen. He watched his father. I only do what I see my father do. He listened to his father. I only say what I hear my father say. He spent time with his father and therefore he was secure in his father's love. He imitated his father. And this is the relationship that dads, you should strive to have with your kids, that they listen to what you say. They watch what you do. They spend time with you so you can develop them to be godly men, teaching them how to love their wives and how to be good to other people to be men of integrity in all that you intend for your kids to do. And it's so great because Jesus said at the end of the scripture, he goes, uh, can you go to the next one? Yeah, he says, and then the father will show him how to do even greater works. I love that because even in Jesus and his relationship with his father, he's like, there's even more that the father he has yet to show me. You have so much to give to your kids. I know we all want our kids to do better than us, amen? We don't want them to struggle like we struggled. We don't want them to make the same mistakes we make. And, and you see the same dynamic with the father and the son. And let me tell you, church, in order for you and I to be secure in our identity in Christ, we must spend time with the father. We must listen to the word. We must read the word. We must see how Jesus lived and copy that. You and I, in order to be secure in our identity in Christ, we must walk with him and listen to him, observe him, get to know him. And then guess what? Even greater works. Even greater works. In John chapter 13, verse 3 and 5, it says, Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Here's something else about identity. Because Jesus was secure in his identity, he knew what the Father had given him. He knew that he came from the Father. He knew he was going back to the Father. That security in his identity empowered him to do his purpose. 
See, we all have a purpose. God has created you and I with a purpose. And what enables us to live out our purpose is when we, when we operate from a place of security in the identity of the Father. See, to be effective in the works that God has called you to, whether in business, whether in media, whether in the home as a parent, in whatever activities you're doing, we, we have to operate from a place of security in our identity as children of God. Jesus said, I can do. He, he got down and he did the lowest job of all to be a servant, to wash feet. Do you know whose feet he also washed? Judas. Iscariot. Just in case you don't know who that man is, he betrayed Jesus and gave him over to be crucified. Jesus knew that was coming up. This was not a surprise. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him and still Jesus washed his feet. Why? Because it wasn't about Judas. He was secure in his father. Can I tell you what empowers us to do ministry? Because I'm not trying to achieve anything. I don't need to. It's God the Father. And if I am abiding in Christ, rooted in Christ, John 15, if I abide in him and he abides in me, if his word is in me, if his love is in me, if I'm living from that place, then the fruit will come. And it's the same for you. So I don't have to prove anything. I just need to be obedient and allow the overflowing of Holy Spirit to move. So why can you do it week in and week out? Because I'm not tapping into my own resources. I'm tapping into God. And it's so important because in this church, a lot of us are very active and we do a lot of things. And what breeds stamina and longevity is your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus could even minister to Judas. Because it wasn't about Judas. It was about his father. You and I can minister to anybody, no matter what they've done to us. You and I can still love them, still forgive them, still treat them with respect and dignity. I may not like them. I may not want to be around them, but I can treat them well. Yeah. There is a difference. Yeah. Why? Because it's not about them. It's about the Father, my relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus in the garden just a little bit later could say, God, I don't want this cup talking about being crucified, being beaten and whipped, but not my will, your will be done. The thing that empowered Jesus to say yes to the will of the Father was his security in the Father's love. So good. You and I need to become more secure in God's love for us. You know, Paul prayed in Ephesians. He asked that, that we would be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the Father's love is. That means you and I need to grow in our getting it here that he loves us. Yes, Jesus loves me. We might know it here. Yes, Jesus loves me, but it needs to get here. Yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. See, we can sing it, but do we believe it? We can sing it, but do I really believe that apart from works, he loves me the way he loves the Father? You know, John 15, Jesus said, the same love that the Father has for me, we have for you. You don't have to do anything. Just rest and receive his love. When you begin to see how the Father 
imparted identity to Jesus, how Jesus operated from that place of identity, then you begin to see why Satan tried to attack his identity. Because if he could get Jesus to question his identity, he could limit what Jesus could do. Satan will come and try to get us to question our identity. Maybe not our sexual identity, but there's a lot of different aspects of identity. Why? Because he wants to keep you from doing all that God has for you and to experience the life that he died to give you. So our identity needs to come not from what we do. Americans, this is really important, okay? Because in America, we say, hi, what's your name? I'm Dawn. What do you do. It's like the second question. So our name is associated with what we do. I'm a nurse. I'm a pastor. Right? What do you do? And then in America, we build our identity off of what we do. Our accomplishments. All the noodle soup after our name. RNBSN, MSN, blah, 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 blah. And it becomes part of our identity. This is who I am. This gives me worth. This gives me value. But that is a false security. That identity is not your real identity. Your identity is what God says about you. Your identity is not rooted in what you do, but in the fact that you are called by God. You're loved by God. You're his child. He loves you. He takes delight in you. Our identity needs to be rooted in the love of God. Because if my identity is rooted in the love of God, then I can be a nurse to the most annoying people and treat them with compassion. And I've done that a lot. Because it's not about them. It's about my relationship with the Father. It's about the love I've received from him that enables me to love the unlovely. It's the grace that he's shown me that enables me to show grace to others. So our relationship with the Father needs to be the core of our identity. What we do should follow from who we are. It should flow from who we are. Abiding in Christ, John 15, if you abide in me, you will produce fruit. So my fruit, what I do, is an overflow of my identity, my, my, my relationship with God the Father. Are you getting me? But oftentimes we do it backwards. I try to derive my identity, my, my sense of worth and value from what I do. And so what's the most, what is one of the most common replies? How was your week? Oh, busy. How are you doing? I'm busy. I'm telling you, in America, we love to be busy. I'm busy. How was your week? Busy, busy. Oh, praise God, busy. Like, we don't even know how to say it was good. <laughs> you know, we had fun this week. No, I'm busy. Like, sometimes I even catch myself doing that. Someone's like, Dawn, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm I'm good. Like, I'm trying to change my own vocabulary because we, it's like busy is like a merit badge. I'm busy because I'm important because I have worth and value because I do. I'm a doer. I do this. I do that. I do this. I do that. I'm so busy. Why is this so important to uncover? Because your identity should never be rooted in what you do. It should be rooted in the love of the Father and who he says you are. And so we're going to read about that because this is so important. All right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going to start to talk about the truth of our identity and how our identity comes from God. In Genesis 1, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female, he created them. So the number one thing you need to know is God created you. You were not an accident. Okay, you were intentional. And you are created in the likeness, the image of God. What does that mean? You and I have been given free will, intellect, emotions. I made a list so I don't forget any. Uh, Where did it go? There we go. Free will, gifts, and talents so that we can build and create life. We're created in the image of God. He builds and creates life. He's given us his likeness. So you and I have worth and value simply because we're created by God. We were created for relationship. And an important truth that we have to stand on today is when you were born, if you're born male, God wanted you to be male. And if you were born female, he wants you to be female. It's interesting because as I was meditating on this topic for this week, it occurred to me that sperm carry the gender. So who determines the gender of the, the child, the sex of the child? The dad. Who determines the sex of the child? God the father. Who carries that decision out? The father. Oh, that's good, huh? I know, man. See that nursing education? It's not for waste. (laughs) RNBSN. I'm just saying. (laughs) And reverend. Anyways. But none of that matters. None of that matters. Anyways, you got me off topic, Pastor. Okay. So the dad, the sperm, carries the gender, the sex of a child. Your gender is not ever a mistake. And just like I struggled with feeling fully feminine, there are a lot of people who are wrestling with their identity because they need the father to speak love and worth and value. I believe one of the reasons why I didn't think I was a boy is because I had a loving father who was very present in my life who would let me go out and work with him in the shop and go outside and mow the grass and do those things, you know? But, but he also kept affirming his love for me, and he affirmed that I was his precious daughter, his little girl. So even though the world tried to steal my femininity, the love of my parents kept me rooted in the truth. I, I just want to impart that to you guys, for you and your kids and your grandkids. So God chose your sex at conception with great joy and delight and purpose. Guess what, guys? You look like your father. We're made in his image. You look like your father. And I really look like mine. Okay. (laughs) Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. But to all who believed him, Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You need to know this truth. God wants you, God um, chose you, and God created you. You are not an accident. You were intended. God meant, he wanted you so much, he made sure that that one sperm out of a billion reached the one egg at just the right time. It's not an accident. Yes, we're talking about sperm in church. We're also doing Christian sexuality, so it's okay. This church, just we just go for it. Because I see some of you guys, every time I, see, I say the word sperm, there's like... 
We, I know we're in church, not a health class, but this is very important, okay? Let's go to Psalms 139, verse 13 to 18. This is what David said, you, talking about God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. So God chose your makeup. He chose how tall you were going to be or short. He chose whether you're going to have straight hair, curly hair, black, white, brown, yellow, skin. Whatever it is, God chose it. It's more than DNA. It's God's workmanship. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together. This shows a God who is intimately involved in the creation of every human being. Isn't that cool? Like, close your eyes for a moment. I just want you to see how God was at work when you were in your mother's womb and he was with a big smile on his face going, ooh, I'm going to make this person five foot six. They're going to wish they were six foot, but I like them at five six. And I'm going to give them brown hair and I'm going to give them brown eyes and I'm going to give them a great personality and I'm going to make them smart in numbers but not in history. And I'm going to, like, think about you, like, I don't know if you've ever done this mental exercise, but I would love for you one day just to close your eyes and say, God, show me how excited you were when you created me. I had to do that. And then God was like, yeah, I was so excited. And I gave you broad shoulders. And I was like, why? (laughs) He said, so that you could carry a lot. I was like, okay. And if you know how hard we work in this church, that's true. (laughs) He says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's not just females who are complex, even men. You see that? Just so you know. Your workmanship is marvelous. I want you to touch your, your, put your hand on your heart and say, I'm marvelous. That's what he says about you. You're marvelous. Come on, say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God made me just the way I am. And he likes me a lot. Let's keep reading. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Does this sound like a distant God who doesn't care? Do we need to read it again? Because you're not answering me. Does this sound like a distant God who doesn't care? No, man, it sounds like a God who is so excited about every human he's ever created, all billions upon billions of us. He watched you being formed in the womb. Now, if you've ever had that pleasure of being pregnant or having your wife be pregnant and experience that, I can only imagine. You start dreaming about what you're going to do with your kids. You start dreaming about the life they're going to have. You start dreaming about when you walk her down the aisle. You start dreaming about playing ball with them. You start dreaming about what they're going to look like. You start talking to them in the belly. I'm your dad. I can't wait to see you. Right? You start talking to them. When you come out, I got so many plans for you. Like, think about the joy and expectation you have felt and how much more God the Father. And even if your experience wasn't like that and yours was more like, oh, what happened? This was not planned. <laughs> this is, uh, guess what? God still has great joy and delight overforming the child that maybe you weren't expecting, but he had planned from long ago. Because he's a God who is, goes way beyond our expectations and what we thought would happen or not happen. 
And then look what it says. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Some of y'all need to be smiling bigger. Like, this is God talking about you. I'm smiling because I get it. Like, this is something God has really worked in me over the last 20 years of my life. And I'm praying that he works into you a deeper awareness of how much he likes you. He loves you. He delights in you. It's not about what you do or don't do. Even when you screw up while we were still sinners, he demonstrated his love by sending Christ to die on the cross. He loves you unconditionally. Not only does he love you, he doesn't tolerate you. He actually likes you. But some of you believe the lie that God just puts up with you. Because maybe that's how you felt growing up, that your dad just put up with you. And so now you think the Father in heaven just tolerates you. I don't really want to talk to God because uh, he probably doesn't like me much. Because well, I don't really like myself much right now. I've done that. Where there's something that I don't like about myself, and then I think God feels the same way. Well, I don't like what I see, so how could God really love me? He loves us despite what you and I see, despite our sin, despite our struggles. He loves you. How precious are his thoughts about you? He can, you can't even count how much God thinks about you. And you kept the baby book. He's already got a book with your name on it in heaven. And every day is already written out the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he rejoices and delights over you. And he never leaves you. I'm going to ask Daniel and Giselle to come up. This is our last scripture. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Whew. When I was a young person and I had messed up and I had messed up so bad, I thought for sure God could never use me again. That, that, that was it. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that. I was like, that's it. I've screwed up your plan for my life, God. It's over. I've messed up. There's nothing, there's nothing I could do. I'm so bad. He took me to Ephesians chapter 1. He says, verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before God made the world, he loved you and he chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault. He doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of his son. He sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus. He doesn't look at us and say, mm, you did that. I can't have you. He says, come right to me because I have the solution. It's Jesus Christ. Before he made the world, before he ever said, let there be light, he thought of you. Before Genesis 1, verse 2, he thought about you. Wow. I know. He loved you. He chose you. He sees you without fault. In Christ, he doesn't see our sin. He sees his son. Look what it says, God decided in advance, in advance, before you did anything good, before you did anything bad, he decided in advance. Can you put that up, Ephesians 1, verse five? This is really important, I want you to have it. 
He decided in advance to adopt you into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Read this out loud with me. Stand to your feet and read this out loud. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him Let's read it again. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him You give God great pleasure. He decided to bring you into his family in advance before you were even born, before you did anything good, before you did anything bad. He said, I want you to be part of my family. So he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to do what we cannot do, to die on the cross for our sins. And all we have to do is believe. And we're brought into the family of God. And he did this not because you're worthy or you're good, but because he's good and he's worthy. And it gave him great pleasure and he delights in you. So here's the truth. Take a screenshot of this with your phones because this is what I want you to memorize. If you're watching online, Take a screenshot. Because this is the truth of who you are in Christ. Your identity is not in your job or your education, your achievements and your possessions. Whether you own a house or don't own a house, whether you're educated or not educated, whether you're black, brown, white, it don't matter. Your identity is this, you are chosen. You are loved. You're blameless. You're adopted, you are accepted, you belong to the family of God, you're wanted, and you're delighted in. Come on, I want you just to take that in for a moment. Stare at this words, stare at it and say, God, I thank you that you chose me. I thank you that you love me, that you've called me, I'm blameless in your sight, that you don't see my sin. Thank you that you've adopted me in, I'm a child of God. I belong, you've accepted me. You take great joy and pleasure in me. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Visit us in person or online at hwcim.org.